let me share something with you. We've been in this series called Undefeated, and basically I want to really hone in to the, to the why behind this. How many of you are firm believers that Jesus is coming again? And how many of you know we're going to have a new heaven and new earth? This planet's not going to be destroyed. It's going to be renovated. All right? We're not going to have spirit bodies that float on clouds and have harps and little wings. And that's, I mean, you know, that's not us. Thank God. I don't want to be one of those people because I have a body and I'm material and I like it. How many of you like being a human? I do. How many of you, I just said, how many of you like eating food? How many of you thank God that he gave you taste buds? I'm going to give you a thought. You're getting glorified taste buds that are going to taste better. God's not going to cut your tongue out in heaven, all right? He's going to give you glorified taste buds. And uh, praise the Lord for all that. So the point is this. We know that our future is amazingly secure. And I just had a thought, too. You know, we, we're going to do something new. Uh, we go through hardships in life. We all know that. We experience loss. One of the biggest things that Jesus is going to overcome, has overcome, but will all overcome, is death itself. But how many of you know this side of eternity, that's a, that's a sure, unless Jesus comes, all of us are going to face death. Kind of a sobering thought. Aren't you glad Jesus conquered the grave? <laughs> and, and here's the thing, too. People don't get excited about what's to come if they have a bad theology of heaven. They're like, I don't really want to go. I don't want to leave. I don't want to die. I want to experience my life. But you don't realize there is a life to come where you're going to experience every hope, dream, desire God's ever put in your heart to the max. So the best theology of heaven I ever read was Randy Alcorn's book called Heaven. And the Lord just put in my heart that, you know, when we're doing funerals and we're loving on people at their lowest time, after the dust, so to speak, settles and we're three months or so afterwards, I want to send every family a copy of the book Heaven. Because you can encourage people and hug people, but how many of you know you got to get a vision? you got to get an understanding of what is awaiting us because then it fills your heart with joy. And it will carry you through the darkest times in life when you know who you are and you know what's ahead of you. It's like the big family vacation you look forward to for a long, long time. Only better. The family's bigger. No one's asking, are we there yet? Hallelujah. Uh, It's going to be awesome. And so the question is this. We know that the future is secure. Here's the question I want to ask you. What hope do we have now? What hope do we have in human history? If you ask much of the church, we don't have much hope. It's going to get worse. It's going to get darker. In fact, all you all are going to apostatize. There's only going to be a couple of us hanging on. And usually whoever is preaching that is one of the folks hanging on, all right, uh, which is always scary because uh, be sure lest your sin finds you out or lest you fall, you know, examine yourself, all that. So I just believe God's heart's bigger. I believe the promises of God are bigger. I believe the future is bigger and brighter than we can ever imagine. Will there be darkness? Yeah. Will there be sin? Yeah. Will there be an increase in the very last days before Jesus comes? Yeah. But in the meantime, what should we be expecting? 
And I told you before, nobody gets out of bed in the morning without hope. And certainly nobody changes the world without being full of hope. You won't, we won't be putting a parking lot in if we didn't expect to be using it for a long time till, till the Lord returns. Amen. In fact, I'm expecting to use it really soon. Uh, I don't know about you, but we would not buy land. We would not start Christian schools. We would not do anything if, if, if we were not full of hope about what God has in store for us. So I've been laboring to give you biblical pillars for hope in history, in human history, before Christ returns. Pillars for hope. How many of you really believe that God is a God of providence and that your life, your beginning and your end, are in the Lord's hands and everything in between is in the Lord's hands and your life belongs to Him? Okay, two of you believe that. All right, great. We're gonna, let's try that. How many of you believe your life is in God's hands? Your steps are ordered of the Lord. God has ordained work, good works for you to walk into. Praise the Lord. And while we're in a world full of evil, God trumps evil itself and turns our ashes into beauty. Hallelujah. So we talked about providence. How many of you are grateful that God never makes a promise that's too good to be true? That God is good and God is true and God's promises are good and true, but they're not too good or too good to be true. We need to believe what God says. And I've encouraged you that God can do things in a moment's time. You might be holding on to a promise for 30 years. You know, we've been in existence as a church family for 40 years. How many of you know my mama's still holding on to some promises? As she should be. Because there's been a, a boatload of prophetic words delivered at Living Stone, some of which have come to pass, some of which are going to come to pass, because God is a God who doesn't lie. And all of his promises are true. And so I just gave you some hope. Like as it relates to us as the church, our mission. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. Jesus speaking. I will build my church. And all the powers of hell will not be able to conquer it. How many of you know we're on the winning team? Not losers. Winners. I like being on the winning team. Think about what I just said. Hell's best shot, hell's collective best shot will not ever be enough to stop the mission of the church from being fulfilled. That's who we are. So what happens when you get a punch in the solar plexus and sometimes life, you know, the devil sneaks up, he's a cheap shot artist, you sneak up behind you, boom, and all of a sudden you're bent over trying to catch your breath. He's a cheap shot artist. What do you do? You catch your breath? And you start worshiping again, and then you start prophesying like David did to, to the Philistine Goliath, and you start telling him what his future is, and you know what? You say, all right, you punched me in the gut. I'm asking for tenfold return on that, on that last punch, all right? And that's what God's people do. We say, you know, we keep getting up. We keep getting up together, and we keep latching a hold of the, of the source and the foundation of our promises, and we keep moving forward in hope, because I honestly believe that the goodness of the Lord will be seen in the land of the living. Now listen, it takes time sometimes for the Lord to work out that situation. When you're in the middle of a dark period, I still believe this. At the depth of my darkness, there are the goodness of the Lord is waiting for me in my future, and I will see goodness come out of the pain and the suffering that I just went through. It might take a day. It might take a year. It might take a decade. 
It might take an eternity, but the, the day will come when you will look and see the wisdom of God and the beauty of God and the goodness of God. So like David said, I'm going to see the goodness of the Lord, not in heaven. That's already a given. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So man, when you get, when you get a cheap shot, start prophesying. When you get a cheap shot, get back up. Let us help you back up. And we're going to keep moving forward, and we're going to keep trusting that what's ahead of us is good, the goodness of the Lord waiting to happen. So today I want to talk about a third pillar. We talked about providence. We talked about promises. Today we're going to talk about God's power, the promise and power of the Holy Spirit. And I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 2, which is where we were last Sunday. Acts chapter 2. Now in verse 13, you read something interesting. The people are looking at the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and what the effects it's having on, on the people who are just encountered by God in such a powerful way. And they started mocking them. They're making fun of them. How many of you know the world and godless people, cynical people, will always mock a true move of God? But I want you to see something. When people are mocking you or mocking your passion for the Lord or mocking your worship of the Lord, whatever it is, look at Peter's response in verse 14. Then Peter stepped forward. Can everybody say step forward? I love that phrase because when all of hell is coming against you, the tendency is to retreat. But I want you to notice what apostolic leadership looks like. Apostolic leadership doesn't step backwards. It doesn't shrink under persecution. It steps forward into the face of persecution. It steps forward into challenges. It doesn't run from challenges. We actually believe that the church has the power to change what's going on and to defeat every enemy. So, for instance, I'm looking at some business leaders out here. When you get a punch in the solar plexus from a business standpoint, maybe it's a deal gone wrong, maybe you're defrauded, maybe you're lied to, maybe somebody cheats you out of stuff. You don't go, oh, man, where's God? And I can't believe in this world, and oh, my gosh, and I don't even know if I'm going to go to church Sunday. I'm so depressed. No, you step forward into the situation in faith, and you believe that God will pay back to you in time what the devil has tried to rob from you, and that your response is to act in a godly fashion. Now, can I just tell you, I got I to brag on this precious family. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I shared with you, we buried a, pre, a precious woman of God in her 30s, six children and a newborn son, and we're doing the funeral with the husband there, left, left alone, and uh, looking at his precious wife in the casket, and six little kids, including a one-month-old who hardly got to know mom. How many of you know, that's a tragic situation. There's no other way to cut it. It's a tragic situation. But we encouraged him in the Lord. And he said, this is his last comment to me when I'm leaving the funeral home after the funeral. Pastor, I will see you Sunday. Amen. He said, it will probably be third service. <laughs> because I have to gather together and get six kids ready for church. But can I just tell you something? Six little souls are looking at one big soul to see how daddy's going to respond in their family's darkest time. And I can't tell you the joy as a pastor I had in my heart when I look back at the row, second row from the back where Don's sitting, filled with this precious family, and a father that in the midst of his pain is worshiping, 
Because while he's worshiping in the dark right now, he's fully confident in the hope that there is before him. And he came up afterwards, because I'm also amazed, listen to me, the goodness of God and the grace of God is always pursuing you. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Every time you look in your rearview mirror, I'll tell you who's chasing you down, the goodness of God and the mercy of God. Do you understand how much God loves you? Do you understand how much God feels your pain? Do you understand when the Bible says Jesus wept that God Almighty cried and identified with pain? And then God understands because he sent his only son to be slaughtered for you and for me. So what do we do in times like that? You grab onto an anchor called hope. And you believe in the promises of God. And here's what you do. You keep getting as much grace as you need to get by that day. But you know what I believe? There's a better day coming. You know, I had a situation where I had to, uh, I have a good friend who lost his wife, newlywed. She got T-boned in a traffic situation by a drug dealer who was running from the police, ran through a red light, T-boned her, and killed her instantly. But do you know, it was years later, that young man asked me if I would marry him to the wife that God provided in his time of loss three or four years later. You know, God brings a full circle solution to our lives. We don't understand the provision of God. We don't understand why. But God never lets the devil have the last word on anything. And so you need to keep fighting and keep standing, keep believing, and you need to be hope dealers. Every one of you in this room, you need to be hope dealers. You need to be filling yourself with hope, and you need to be filling people with hope. But what I'm going to tell you today, at least part one, is a reason why you should be pregnant with hope for America. Pregnant with hope for America and for the nations of the world. So as I said, we're starting here. Peter, man, Peter stepped forward. That got me fired up. I hope it got you fired up. Then Peter stepped forward. Not notice, not by himself. His whole tribe stepped forward with the 11 other apostles. And he shouted to this crowd, listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews, residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These living stones people are not drunk. How many of you know one of the signs of an outpouring of God's presence was that worldly people thought they were drunk? There's happy drunks, there's free drunks, there's, there's liberated drunks who have, have uh, no holds barred, and then there's all the other bad drunks. But anyway, <laughs> what they saw made them wonder if these people were not intoxicated. And Peter assures them, hey, guys, it's only 9 o'clock in the morning. No one's, no one's drinking beers at 9 o'clock in the morning. What's going on? Verse 16, no, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. Now, can I just encourage you? What Peter's doing here is something we need to do. He's going all the way back to the old covenant, and he's saying what's happening now was promised by God before. He's taking the prophet Joel And he's taking Joel's prophecy and he's fast-forwarding and he's applying it to human history now. See, that's the purpose of the promises of God. They anchor us to the mission of God. Take a look at what, what Joel the prophet said. In the last days, 
God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Everybody say all people. Turn to your neighbor and look at him and say, that means you. All right, just tell him that. That means you. How many of you are part of all people? Now, I don't want you to miss this promise because this is an amazing promise. Joel said there's a day coming when God's going to pour out the Holy Spirit on all people. And he said it would happen in the last days. I just need to make a little correction here maybe to help somebody out. People always say this, Pastor, do you think we're living in the last days? Absolutely. The last days started with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. We've been living in the last day outpouring for 2,000 years. Now, that's not to diminish God's promises or to cause us to have a lack of urgency or a lack of anticipation, but we're living in the last days. Ever since God took of the Holy Spirit and poured them out on all people, we're living in the time uh, between the first coming and the second coming, the last days. Now, obviously, there's the last of the last days. I get it, but we're in the last days, period. Now, I don't know about you, but that's good news. Because it means we're closer to our redemption than when we first believed. But I want you to see this beautiful thing about the Holy Spirit. He's going to be poured out on everybody. Sons and daughters will prophesy. This is where the Holy Spirit crosses over gender. The Holy Spirit's not just for men. The Holy Spirit's for women. And you don't get a downsized version of the Holy Spirit. You get the same Holy Spirit that men get. I mean, you know, the Holy Spirit makes an even playing field at the foot of the cross. In other words, he empowers men and women to move in the power of the the Spirit. What a blessing. Look at what else he does. Young men, old men, hallelujah, you're never too old for the Holy Spirit. And you're never too young for the Holy Spirit. In fact, can I encourage you? When the Holy Spirit is moving with power, many times children who have less baggage and less pride and less concern about what other people think are many times the ones who encounter the Holy Spirit most powerfully. So don't have this arbitrary thing like, well, in our church, you got to be 12 years old to be able to get saved. Really? The Holy Spirit is an equal opportunity in power. How you know John the Baptist got the Holy Spirit before he even came out? I've noticed this about the Holy Spirit. He doesn't like boxes. In fact, when you look at the Holy Spirit coming on people in the New Testament, especially through the book of Acts, he resists formulas. One time Peter was preaching this great sermon, and he's waiting for the conclusion. He's going to give the altar call, and the Holy Spirit fell, and everybody started getting rocked. And he's like, Lord, I didn't get to the end. He's like, sorry, I'm moving ahead of you. All right? <laughs> Sometimes they're baptized, then they're baptized in the Holy Spirit. Sometimes they're baptized in the Holy Spirit, and then they're baptized. The Holy Spirit is a God who loves variety. He resists formulas. He resists religion. He resists old people, young people, men, women. Whatever race you are, we're a beautiful mix of all the different races in the, in the world. Guess what? The Holy Spirit is an equal opportunity baptizer. Which I want you to make this personal. The Holy Spirit wants to rock you. The Holy Spirit wants to possess you. The Holy Spirit wants to do amazing things in you. 
I want you to personalize that this morning. I'm talking to you. You're part of the all people. And so here's the good news. While the Holy Spirit is poured out on Pentecost, and what do you know about the harvest or the Pentecost festival? It was a festival of harvest. So guess what? Wherever the Holy Spirit is present, there's harvest. Big harvest. And there's a harvest that includes all the nations. It's a harvest that includes men, harvest that includes women, young, old, everybody in between. It is a massive harvesting movement when the Holy Spirit is poured out on a people. And I want you to understand, Pentecost ushered in the age of the Holy Spirit, but it wasn't just a chapter uh, in, in God's larger thing. It was an ongoing outpouring, an ongoing chapter of what God's doing now before the second coming. In other words, it wasn't a single event that we read about historically, it was the first of many outpourings until Jesus comes. So what I want you to understand is, if, if we need, and I'm getting ahead of myself, let me just, I'll, I'll get to that in a minute. The purpose of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is to empower the church to fulfill the mission of Jesus. Now this is important. I've been in charismatic settings for years, and I've seen the Lord do amazing things, and then I've seen the church misuse the Holy Spirit's presence. What do I mean by that? It means we, we, we get enamored with the Holy Spirit's touching of us, how we feel, what He does, the gifts of the Spirit, but we forget that all of that's happening for a greater purpose. In other words, how I mean, you know when God gifts you, He doesn't gift you for you. He doesn't gift you so that you build your identity around the gift. I've seen this happen. People build their identity around the gift or around the role or around the function. And then when the role changes, they lose their identity. Like, what if, what if the Lord told me, Pastor Ron, turn in your resignation today. I, I, I want you, I've got you on the shelf. I, want to just, I just want you all to myself. I want to put you on pause. Well, Pastor, I can't do that, Lord. I'm the pastor. Lord, Lord do you know how long I've been pastoring? I mean, you, why would you do that? That has to be the devil. I rebuke you in Jesus' name. That, that can't be God telling me to do that. No, that's the person who's, Way wrapped, too wrapped up in what they do and not in who they are. How I many you know at our baseline level, we're sons and daughters? Baseline level, who are you? You're a son, you're a daughter. What you do will change. But here's why God empowers you to be about the mission. What is the mission? The earth being full of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the seas. Every, every nation, tribe, and tongue before the throne. How about this, the Great Commission being fulfilled? So, so do you think we need help to get that done? <laughs> we need a lot of help. Let me show you what follows next. Look at what, what the Lord says in Acts chapter 1, verse 4. Jesus, while Jesus was eating with them, this is the commandment he gave them. Do not leave Jerusalem. Until the Father sends you the gift that he promised, as I told you before, John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now this is important. There's a distinction here. When you're baptized with water, how many of you know you're born again? That's John's baptism of, uh, for the repentance of sins. You give your life to Christ. You follow Christ in water baptism. Uh, and how many of you received the Holy Spirit when you submitted your life to Christ? It should be all of you. But Jesus says there's an empowerment that's coming that's greater than what happened at salvation. In fact, it builds upon it. Look at, in just a few days, Jesus said, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit is given to activate the gifts of the Spirit in our lives and to empower us to do the work of the Lord. In other words, how did the disciples do the, all the amazing things that they did? Well, some people would say, well, that's just because they were part of the early church. God's not doing that any longer. I would love for those people to show me some scripture and verse that says God's not pouring out his spirit or doing signs and wonders on planet earth anymore because now we have the Bible. How does the Bible replace signs, wonders, and miracles? In fact, the Bible points us to the God who's still doing the signs, wonders, and miracles. In fact, Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says to the God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So God's not having a, a problem with his identity or, or with his lack of power. Maybe we need fresh outpourings of the Holy Spirit to enable us to do the mission that is totally supernatural off the charts out of our pay grade. Look at what it says in the, in the verses that follow. Look at verse, verse uh, 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, Jerusalem, throughout Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth, at your workplace, at the grocery store, everywhere. You're going to be witnesses when the Holy Spirit's power comes upon you. And if you flip your Bible forward a couple chapters in, in the book of Acts to Acts chapter 17, we read something absolutely crazy. These who have turned the world upside down, have come here too. That is the full impact of a Holy Spirit-empowered people. They turn cultures upside down. They turn cities upside down. They turn regions upside down. How many want to be a part of that kind of church? So I hear people today say, Pastor, you know, the church shouldn't really be concerned with cultural transformation. That's not going to happen. We just need to get people saved. How do you deal with a verse like that? In other words, do you believe that when the Holy Spirit baptizes powerfully a people, when he's poured out on a people, that they then go out and love people, share the gospel, serve people, care for people, do all the stuff that Christians do, pray for people, and that God still backs up his word with signs and wonders following? I heard one, mm, -hmm, and I didn't really hear any votes of God. I believe that. And I want to show you something. God often works, most of the time works, at the fringes of society. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians, hey, Paul's going, hey, how many of you guys were really smart? You're all the smarty, you know, top of your class. Oh, that's what I thought. Nope. How many of you were really wealthy? Yep. How many of you were really powerful? You're all the influential cultural shapers of, of society, right? Nope, not very many. In fact, he goes around, he goes around, and he says, no, that's not who you are. Here's what he says, I'm paraphrasing. You're a bunch of nobodies. That's why I chose you, so that you could become a somebody with me. So listen, listen. This is why if we'll be humble, and we'll be hungry, and we'll pursue God, and we'll never be satisfied with, with where we're at, and we'll see the promises of God for outpouring, we will grab a hold of that in faith. And here's what I'm believing. The same promises to those people who turn the, the world upside down, is the same promise to us as living stones. What are we supposed to do in Lake County? Turn it, actually, we're turning it right side up. It's already upside. We're, we're going to turn it right side up. We're going to bring the kingdom understanding of blessing and prosperity and healing and salvation and deliverance. That's what we bring to regions. Now, let me just ask you this. If you could have picked the most unlikely city to birth the church, it would be Jerusalem. 
All the believers there just watched their leader slaughtered in front of their eyes. I mean, if, if you were traumatized by watching your pastor slaughtered, beat up, nailed to a cross, and then they said, the same's going to happen to you unless you shape up. How many of you would be shaken by watching somebody slaughtered in front of your eyes? Are they, so this is a Christian church that's traumatized and afraid. Like, who wants to follow that leader? Because that's what's going to happen to me. And isn't it amazing? Who does God pre- pick to preach the first sermon? Peter, the chicken, with his foot. He had to take his shoe out of his mouth to even say something. Because he always had his foot in his mouth. But what happened before the persecution and, and what they witnessed and the preaching, it was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. They completely changed Peter. And so now Peter, and it says the 11, all stepped forward, and they began preaching and began declaring the power of God. This is amazing. This gives us, check this out, this gives us reason to believe that the kingdom of Christ is going to spread and triumph through powerful operations of the Holy Spirit as he's poured out upon the church through successive seasons of revival. Now, let me just say, we're going to get into what that means next week. But some of you, when, I, when you hear revival, you hear a guy in a suit screaming at you for a week and uh, in a tent somewhere, and um, it's revival time. And usually, uh, revival didn't happen. It was just a bunch more meetings, and you were exhausted at the end of the of revival meeting, right? Sometimes good, good stuff did happen. I'm not talking about a series of meetings. I'm talking about an encounter with God. I'm talking about an outpouring of his presence that changes entire communities of people. That's what I'm talking about. Many times it spills over into more gatherings where God continues to touch more people. But let me give you an example from history. And I encourage you guys all the time, be readers. Be readers. Otherwise, we become prisoners of our own times. And and here's the problem with being a prisoner of your own time. How many of you think America is in kind of a dark season right now, and we're seeing wickedness abounding, we're seeing more and more perversion becoming mainstream, and the problems uh, in front of us seem to be larger and more than ever? Am I talking to the right group? The divisions among us seem to be greater than ever. We have a lack of trust in almost every major institution. I mean, we're not in a good place. And if you would just look at where we're at, and and you're in a time warp zone here, and, and this is all we knew, it would give you cause for alarm. But can I just give you some history? We've been here before. Other nations have been here before. The only thing that's changed is the technology. Now we have cell phones, and we're still depraved. In previous generations, they didn't have cell phones, but they were equally depraved. You know, we're, we wear different clothes. We eat different food. But it's the same problems. It's the same sin. And all throughout human history, when you study historic revivals, you see that the church and the world were in really bad places. And then God showed up. Now, let me give you, give, give you some more hope. I love to read the greats from previous generations. How many of you are familiar with Charles Spurgeon, all right, the Prince of Preachers? God used him to preach in a nation that was incredibly, incredibly wicked and dark at the time, Great Britain. Uh, and he awakened. God used him to awaken that region. Listen to what Spurgeon said. I myself believe that King Jesus will reign. Anybody believe that? I do. And the idols be utterly abolished. But I expect the same power which turned the world upside down once will continue to do it. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, would never suffer the imputation to rest upon his holy name that he was not able to convert the world. 
I love this promise. This is his reasoning. The Holy Spirit will not have a black mark on his record that somehow God sent him to convert sinners and to revive and to restore and to redeem, but that the Holy Spirit did not have the power to get the job done. Now, I don't always have super confidence in my own abilities or in our abilities as the church, but how many of you know we should have incredible confidence in the Holy Spirit's ability to radically rock and transform human nature and to do it in mass, I mean, large, large, large groups of people. Jonathan Edwards, greatest theologian, some call the greatest theologian in American history, he was involved in the first great awakening. God hath it much on his heart from all eternity to glorify his dear and only begotten Son. And there are some special seasons that he appoints to that end, wherein he comes forth with omnipotent power to fulfill his purpose and oath to him. And these are times of remarkable pouring out of his spirit to advance his kingdom. Such a day is a day of his power. What is Edward saying? Here's what Edward is saying. God has made promises to his son. One of them is in Psalm 2. He's going to give his son all the nations of the world as his son's inheritance. (laughs) This is so good. When God makes a promise to his son... There is a holy passion in his heart to do everything he promised for the sake of the one he made the promise to. I'm telling you, earth-shaking, globe-encircling, Holy Spirit outpouring is part of the promise God made his son so that the nations would come to hear and know and love Jesus. And Edward says this, that there's a holy jealousy in God's heart from all eternity to glorify his dear and only son so that God himself stands to his feet, as it were, and comes in supernatural power, omnipotent power, and rocks entire communities of people with his presence so that his mission is accomplished. In 1763, George Whitfield, the great, great preacher as well, preaching in incredibly dark times, both in England and in the United States, he wrote of a Christian's duty to anticipate great revivals. This is what he said. The scriptures are so far from encouraging us to plead for a uh, diminution, in other words, a shrinking of divine influence in these last days of the gospel, that on the contrary, he says, we shouldn't be expecting a shrinking of God's blessing. On the contrary, we're encouraged to expect hope. Uh, we're encouraged to, lo- to, to, to uh, I'm sorry, we are encouraged to expect, to hope, to long, and pray for larger and more extensive showers of divine influence than any former age has ever yet experienced. For are we not therein taught to pray that we may be filled with the fullness of God and to wait for a glorious epoch when the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the seas? This is is George Whitfield. He says, church, we should not be expecting a shrinking of the influence of God on our culture. We should be expecting a greater outpouring than we've ever seen. Now, I I want you to hear this because this will give you hope. It's got my wife so excited this morning, she jumped to her feet and almost started running around the sanctuary. And I'm telling you, she, she probably understood it better than most. Listen to what I'm saying. When Jesus turned the water into wine, what did they say at the wedding? He has saved the, the best wine for... I want you to see this. 
If God birthed the church at Pentecost with a move of the Spirit that was so powerful, people freaked out when Christians came to their community. They said, those people turning the world upside down. Oh my goodness, they're in our town. If that was the beginning, what do you think a mature church is going to look like before Christ returns? Come on. The Bible says, the Bible says, the former glory will be nothing compared to the latter glory. He's not talking about eternity. He's talking about history. So yes, I believe there's a falling away. Yes, I believe we're going to still have wicked people on planet Earth. But do you know that simultaneously for God's people, the glory of the Lord is going to be shining. like It's going to be like the sun coming up till noonday. Noonday, when we live under the blazing glory of the presence of God. So listen to me. How many know there's been a first great awakening? There's been a second great awakening. Here's what I don't want to have happen. I don't want the church to be freaking out about darkness and retreating when we should be freaking out about glory and praying and engaging and crying out. And how about this? And believing that we are more than ripe for God to say, you know what? I made my son a promise. The church is sleeping on me. Church is retreating. Culture's getting dark. For the sake of my own glory and my own reputation and for the sake of the oath and promise I swore to my son, I think the earth is ready for a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit to set things right. That's what I'm talking about. I am pregnant with the promises of God. I can't be discouraged and depressed intentionally or hopeless or expecting the worst when we are so full of the providence of God, the promises of God, the power of God and the Holy Spirit. And we'll get to some precepts in a couple of weeks. But we have some incredible pillars so you need to be a hope dealer until the day that you die. Now, the Bible says in Hebrews 11, a great cloud of witnesses watching us. Praise the Lord. And I just want to say, I just saw precious Jean Mayla and her family over here. Um, love you, Jean. Can you guys all just stand up so people can hug on you and love on you after church? But this precious family, uh, Jean lost her husband, uh, Alex, uh, this past week. Alex fought through a serious uh, stroke. Uh, and again, one of my biggest memories is walking Alec, watching Alex make his way up with his walker after all he could move was his eye, eyelids, making his way up here for something we were doing that required a response from all you all. He didn't stay all the way in the back. He didn't stay seated. That man fought all the days of his life. How you know, he, he uh, is experiencing the fruit of his, of his warfare right now. His glorified body is already being uh, designed and probably already ready when Christ returns. But, but I just want to honor you all and, again, uh, love you all. And we're going to have in, in the month of uh, November, for those of you wanting to know, we're going to let you know, but we're going to have a big celebration memorial night for Alex Malin. But anyway, I just want to honor you guys. I saw you over there. I want to say I love you. I'm proud of you guys. So we got a cloud of witnesses. Amen. And some people, 
latch a hold with bulldog-like tenacity to the promises of God, and they fight and fight and fight and fight, and the Lord says, you're going to see it happen on the other side. Some people fight and fight and fight and see it happen on this side, but here's what the Lord wants us to be. We're in crown point. The, bull, the, the bulldog is the crown point mascot. God wants us to be bulldogs for his promise. And here's all I want from you. We're going to talk next week about what it looks like because I want you to see the power of God. And I want to elicit a passion in your heart that you'll never be satisfied with where you're at. How you know a, a sense of holy um, frustration is good? You're pressing in for more, pressing in for more. So here, here's what, yeah, holy appetite for the things of God. So I want you, if you're just hungry and you're just open and, and you don't want to retreat, but you're ready to advance and, and you really believe that in your generation, we could actually experience another massive move of God. I want you to stand to your feet with me. I want us to join our hearts in prayer this morning. Our, our ministry team, I want you guys to slip on out and come on down here. Um, you know, in the day of his power, People have an awareness of the presence of God, and it causes them to want to get right with God. And I know we're in the, I believe we're in the beginning stages of an incredible outpouring. And so I just would pray, if you're here today, and maybe you're like, man, pastor, I don't, I don't know that I know God. I certainly don't know the Holy Spirit like you're talking about. Or maybe you just feel weak and broken and powerless. You're tired. Maybe you have despair, discouragement. You're just going through a weary season. That's why we have the church, and that's why we have the Holy Spirit. So we would love to pray for you and encourage you today. Maybe some of you would say, you know, Pastor, I, just, I need to get right with God. I need to give my life to the Lord. Well, I'm telling you, we got people waiting up front here just to agree with you and to, and to watch the Lord do that in your heart today. So, Father, here we are. We, just, we, we lift our hearts. We lift our hands to you, Lord. We're open vessels. God, we're, we're preaching on hope, and we thank you that we're full of hope today. God, thank you for this nation. Lord, we don't want to curse it. We want to bless it. We, we're believing that you're going to do incredible things in our lifetime. So, Lord, no matter how dark it gets in the short run, we're crying out for a massive move of your Holy Spirit, Lord, that would shake heaven and earth. And, Father, we're asking that you do that in our lifetime. Whet our appetites today for more. God, stir up the fallow ground. Break it up in our hearts. I pray that we'd be hungrier than we've ever been to know you and to love you and experience you. And, Lord, what you've done in the past is great. We thank you for previous moves of God. But, Lord, what you're doing is going to be eclipsed by anything that happened in the past. It's going to be greater. It's going to be better. It's going to be bigger. It's going to be deeper. It's going to be more profound than anything we've ever seen. And so, Lord, we just open our eyes and ask you to give us faith to press in, faith to believe. And, Lord, even I, I like the sign and wonder that you've given us. Lord, we've got a parking lot waiting to emerge from a grassy field. Lord, we're going to keep building and keep moving and keep taking ground, physical ground and spiritual ground. We make that our declaration until Christ returns. We're going to be a forward-moving, ever-advancing, kingdom-building church on mission. That's who we are. That's the way that we roll. So, Father, give us more of your Holy Spirit. Help us, empower us to do the mission that you've called us to do. We love you. We honor you, Lord. We give you praise. And Lord, for the people in our midst today that are going through that valley of the shadow of death, I think of others who have lost family members even in the last few weeks. I pray for the supernatural comfort of the Holy Spirit and for hope to fill your hearts. 
for hope to fill your hearts as you meditate on the promises of God. We love you, Lord. We thank you for what you're doing. Now bless us as we head out of here. Help us stay on mission this week and use us, Lord, for great exploits, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Give the Lord a shout. Amen.